0: This is Young Lawyer Rising from the ABA Young Lawyers Division and Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Montana Funk, and welcome back, listeners. Today, we are joined by Jessica Gonzalez. Jessica is a cannabis and trademark attorney, a cannabis adjunct professor, policy advocate, and consultant. An Ecuadorian immigrant, Jessica has dedicated her career to uplifting communities harmed by cannabis prohibition through advocacy and education. Today, Jessica joins us to discuss her personal journey to becoming a cannabis attorney, educator, and successful Latina lawyer. Jessica provides insight for those looking to change their career path, as well as how to be a zealous self-advocate. Good afternoon, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: So I'm super excited about today's episode. I, I think this is Kind of an interesting topic because I'm not going to lie to you. As someone who is in the legal world, I have not actually heard of this area. I mean, I know it's out there, but I have not actually had the chance to speak with anybody who practices and that being cannabis law. So I think this is something that maybe some of our viewers, if not a lot, have also kind of not realized is a practice area that's going on. So I think this is really important. And just off the bat, kind of to jump right into it, can you explain to our viewers exactly what you do and you know what this area really entails?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I wear a couple of hats in the cannabis industry. So primarily I am an attorney and my areas of practice are trademark law. So I handle the firm's domestic and international trademark portfolio. And I also help on state licensing matters. So helping to Spearhead and to shepherd clients through the cannabis application process in multiple states, but primarily in New Jersey as well. I help with a lot of cannabis compliance work. So, you're thinking about labeling, packaging, CBD, supplement guidelines, really anything that has to do with federal agencies. I also do a bit of government affairs for the firm as well. So in terms of keeping in touch with cannabis regulatory bodies and different government agencies. But aside from also being an attorney, I'm also a consultant. So I own an educational consulting company that was awarded New Jersey's first state cannabis contract to build out the New Jersey Cannabis Training Academy. So that's actually what's been taken up the most of my time uh, these days, and I'm also a professor, so I teach about the history of cannabis, and I teach a cannabis research and policy course at the graduate level as well. So we're do a couple of things.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're very very busy, and you know, good for you for taking on all these kind of like you said, wearing these different hats and kind of approaching this from multiple angles. And something that I'm you know very curious about and, and wondering is obviously the legalization of marijuana and cannabis you know, one in the same, has become kind of more of a recent thing amongst the states, amongst different countries. So have you found, you know, anything in your practice, your teaching, et cetera, about the, I guess, maybe the stigma surrounding it or the fact that this is so new that has either made you have more challenges that were not foreseen or maybe in the opposite, things that actually were positives that you did not expect just due to the fact it's such a new topic?
1: You know, I always tell folks who want to get involved in this industry, whether it's seasoned lawyers, new lawyers, or law students, that if you are comfortable operating in an area that has very little legal precedent, an area where there's a lot of gray and you're going to have to be creative and imaginative and resourceful and pivot every single day of your life, then this might be a solid career for you because of the fact that it is so new, it is constantly evolving. And so we have changes sometimes on a state level on a weekly basis. So these are the types of regulatory challenges that we face is that the landscape is constantly changing for us because as we like to say in this industry, we're all building the plane while we're flying it. But for me, that's the most exciting part about this industry is that I get to be a part of history. I get to help shape policy. I get to help how these programs are actually being created from its inception. And so I'm not dealing in an area of law that has a lot of established best practices. We're establishing those as we go. So for me, it's been incredibly exciting. It has also been incredibly challenging, but I will also say that for any young or new lawyers or law students out there, this is why this industry holds so much opportunity just because we have barely scratched the surface of what this industry can become.
0: And I can imagine, obviously, I I believe if I'm correct, you used to do media law. And obviously, you were speaking earlier too about how you actually do some trademark stuff as well. So something that I'm sure our listeners would like to know is how did you actually get involved in this area? What made you say, okay, this is something that is not very popular right now is constantly changing in the law throughout the whole entire nation. And I'm going to kind of start and be a trailblazer for, you know, this area, what made you migrate over to such a rare area?
1: I love this question because (laughs) my journey has been very different from a lot of my friends who I graduated law school with and from a lot of attorneys you know that I know. And essentially what ended up happening was I was in my first year of being an attorney and this was back in 2017 and I also credit this to right right timing as well in the fact that I was already practicing as an attorney I was doing trademark law within the entertainment space and that sounds really Cool, probably to a lot of folks, but it was not an industry that I was particularly passionate about. But it was the same year that Governor Murphy of New Jersey was running on his campaign to legalize cannabis within his first 100 days of office. And obviously that didn't happen, but it made me incredibly excited when I did hear this news because I've been a cannabis consumer since I was 17 years old. And I actually used to joke about it in law school that I would become a weed attorney. But it was totally a joke. I never actually thought that it was a viable profession. And especially me being an immigrant of this country, me coming from a very conservative Latino family, being a cannabis consumer was not something that was normal. It was actually something that was pretty demonized within our household. And so when I saw that this could be a really cool career path for me because I could actually use my legal expertise to something that I actually believe in, I went in all the way. And by this, I mean, I went against my law firm's recommendations and strong suggestions that I should not get involved with this plant. I went against my family who kept asking me if I am going insane or crazy or what exactly it is that I am doing. But I thought that if I could create a career around something that was so meaningful to me, that I would actually be able to stick it out as a lawyer because during my first year, which is supposed to be your hardest year as an attorney, I wasn't really sure I would make it unless I found something that I actually believed in. And so I educated myself and, you know, right now there's a lot of education out there. There are schools, there's curriculum, there's so much for cannabis, but that didn't exist back in 2017. So it was me reading books, watching documentaries, going online, trying to get all this information, paying people to please speak to me and going to every single event that I possibly could to learn about the industry I would pay for them myself. I paid for my own CLEs. I would take vacation days and go to cannabis events. I just immersed myself so much in the industry because it was one of the first times that I felt that, wow, I could, I can actually do this.
0: That's really inspiring. And honestly, I, I think that there's a couple different things I want to break down in there, a couple of different parts, because it really speaks to self-advocacy, but not only that, you've had to come overcome multiple challenges, being an immigrant, being a Latina, you know, in this area of law that is not very popular. And like you said, kind of having to go not against, but doing something that your firm and your family weren't really necessarily on board with, or maybe as aware of and having to really self-advocate. So I want to take a quick break, but when we get back, I want to dive into that portion of this. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. ALPS designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. ALPS is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is, and that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot c and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. So now that we're back, I think, like I said before the break, there's kind of three areas I want to touch on and and maybe you can address them all in one, you know, But I think it's important that we kind of break it down, talking about this self-advocacy that you have. And obviously, like I stated before, you're an immigrant, you're a Latina. I I don't, you know, this is something that I have to be educated more on too, but how many Latino people are out there who are actually practicing law, let alone in an area that's not very popular. So if you can kind of answer that, I know I threw a lot at you there, but maybe in parts about how you are a self-advocate and why that's so important and maybe some challenges you faced, but how you've overcame them.
1: Sure. So the latest number that I saw in the latest report from the the ABA was that less than 2% of lawyers in the United States are Latinos. So I stand here as one of the uh, less than 2%, um, which is both great, you know, in terms of me being able to represent my community in this industry, but it can also get quite lonely when there's no blueprint or somebody to look to, to say really, you know, how did you do this? And so it's interesting to almost end up becoming that blueprint now for a lot of law students that I talk to who want to emulate, you know, my journey. And in terms of, you know, the self-advocacy, it's one of the things that I really encourage a lot of law students and lawyers to cultivate within themselves. And I think that my self-advocacy came from the fact that being an immigrant of this country, I was the first to go to a private university. I was the first to go to law school. I'm the first to own my own business. And so being the first and being the eldest daughter um, of an immigrant household, there was never really any blueprints. And if I wanted something to happen, I had to go out there and actually make it happen. And so when I began practicing as an attorney, I was incredibly dissatisfied and truthfully heartbroken that this was the profession that I had chosen, but I had sacrificed so much and my mother had sacrificed so much that I couldn't really quit being an attorney. So I had to find a way to make this job work for me. And when you know, lawyers and partners were discouraging me or making fun of me in the open for trying to get you know into this industry or trying to block me from this industry, I just thought to myself, I have made it this far on my own that there's absolutely no way that I'm going to let somebody dictate my career. And so when I had that in my mind, it made it a lot easier to advocate for myself because I had a vision and it was my vision and it was my vision to protect and it was my responsibility to protect this vision. And so even though other attorneys at that time couldn't see what I could see and what this industry could become, I realized that I had to spend less of my time fighting them and more of my time fighting for my mission. And so I just separated myself from them. And one day my mother told me when I was crying in the car and saying, you know, they don't support me and they're discouraging me and they're penalizing me for doing this. And she said, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do this without them. So do whatever it takes to do it without them. And that's what I did.
0: That's very powerful. And I mean, I commend you for that. That takes a lot of strength, I'm sure, to have to go through an area where you know it's what you want and it's going to ultimately lead to your happiness and help others as well, but kind of facing that pushback. So I commend you for that. And something that you said stuck out with me was that, you know, you you did all this hard work and you got a law degree, so you couldn't, just give up being a lawyer, right? And I think something that really speaks to me about your story is you have a law degree, you've practiced law, you practice law, but you also have kind of entered these other realms where you're teaching, you have this, you know, business action center that you do where you got this huge state contract. And I think that that's also important for our listeners to see, like, you were an advocate for yourself. You overcame A lot of adversity, people who were saying you're doing this on your own and you took something that is scary and confusing and really built this huge career for yourself. So something I'm intrigued by is how did you kind of also make that move not only to this area of law, but also realizing there was other things you could do with this degree?
1: So one of the first people that I actually saw doing something outside of being a lawyer in the cannabis industry um, is a woman by the name of Shaleen Title. And the first time I ever saw Shalene Title speak, she was an attorney. She was also a commissioner for the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Board. And she was, above anything else, an advocate for social equity and social justice. And I saw her speak one day and I just thought to myself, oh, wow, I didn't realize an attorney could do that because I was discouraged from you know, testifying, advocating, all of these things. And so to see somebody actually leveraging her legal career to actually make a change within her community was incredibly inspiring for me. And so I realized then, I don't just have to be a lawyer who sits behind a desk and pumps out billable hours. I can actually create a life for myself that I'm proud of and one that will be sustainable in the long run. And so what I ended up doing was, because through my advocacy work is how I got involved in a lot of government work. And so that really helped me to understand the policy aspect of it. And so I began helping to write legislation. I began helping to write regulation. I began helping to write municipal ordinances. And it all just came down to just me advocating on the state and municipal level. And then I've even had the chance at the federal level, you know, as well. And so one thing that happened about a year and a half ago with me is I I realized that because I was representing cannabis applicants here in New Jersey, I could no longer advocate the way that I wanted to because my advocacy may have a negative impact on their ability to get a state or municipal license. And when I realized that my advocacy could cause my clients harm, I truthfully began to resent the career because I wanted to become a lawyer to actually make a difference and do something and cement something in history. And so I took a back seat and I went to my, my boss now, Lauren Rudick, who's amazing, and I told her, hey, listen, there's other things that I want to do. I think I am better suited out there in the community than I am behind a computer writing contracts. Send me out there to the government, send me out there to policy works, send me out there with advocates, send me out there into the community. That is where I thrive. And she believed in my vision enough to say, absolutely, go for it. And so that was during the time that in New Jersey, they were looking for somebody to help build the Cannabis Training Academy for the state. And because of, I had done so much teaching and so much free education and had hosted a lot of workshops, Um, I put an application and I was selected. um, And then I also decided I wanted to be a professor and teach. And I reached out to schools and pitched who I was and why it was necessary to provide this education. And I was able to obtain those positions. And so what's really interesting is that I advocated for a technical assistance program in New Jersey to help with cannabis applicants. And I advocated for that for five years. I just never thought I was going to be the one to help run the program. So sometimes you become what you advocate for. And I think that's really cool.
0: That is really cool. And congratulations on you know everything you've done. It really sounds like you've made this great career from your, for yourself. And it's it's neat to see another female attorney out there who really wanted to advocate in a certain way and b- despite all the pushback, really, you know chose your own path and was strong and showed people like you can do this and you can create things that other people may say well we're not going to help you or that's not going to ever happen so I just want to congratulate you know you and all of your successes and I want to take a quick break and then when we come back I do want to talk a little bit about a couple of more things but I just yeah congratulations on everything you've done. This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Starting a new career in the law can feel overwhelming. The ABA YLD provides resources, CLE, and a network of peers from coast to coast to help you settle into your new legal career. Claim your Young Lawyer membership for just seventy-five dollars at ambar.org/join. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. So we're back and before the break, we were kind of talking about all the different areas you've been, how you've got through this, you know, journey of media to cannabis, now to a professor, applying for these programs and stuff like that. And I think something I really, you know, want to make sure that we touch touch on is advice you would have to attorneys, no matter, you know, their age, what stage of their career they're in, but advice for those attorneys who are maybe on the journey to finding a different practice area or on the journey to do something outside of being an attorney who are facing pushback, whether it be from family, friends, their firm, et cetera, something if you could go back and tell yourself when you were going through that journey that you think would help those people who are listening right now.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to say something that a lot of folks think is kind of wild, but I've been to seven law firms in six years and that's a lot of jumping around for, for somebody. And The reason why I have been able to do so pretty seamlessly and successfully is because of my personal brand. And I find that that's just not something that law school teaches you is how to cultivate and establish your own personal brand. So what ended up happening to me was I didn't go to a big name law school. I didn't start out at a big law firm. So I didn't have a big name school to fall back on, and I didn't have a big law firm name to fall back on. And I realized I had one name that I could fall back on, and that was going to be my name. So I decided that I was going to promote myself, I was going to market myself, and I was going to do what I saw a lot of lawyers weren't doing, and that was leveraging social media. Now, I also would get in trouble from the law firms that I had been at for my social media presence, but I didn't really care because what it was helping me do is to establish my own personal brand in the industry. And so, you know, we're sort of at now at a day and age where folks don't really stick around at jobs for decades at a time, right? You get maybe a few years at that, but upward mobility is really contingent on how often you jump around and move around. And so, What was great is that my personal brand and my reputation followed me to every place that I was. I mean, for the past three, four jobs, I didn't have to do an interview. I did not have to submit a resume. I was just asked, hey, we would like for you to come work with us. Please come and meet with us because people were noticing me online because of my brand presence. And so if there's any advice that I can give to anyone trying to cement themselves in a particular area of law is cultivate your personal brand market yourself and make sure that people know your name before they know the name of your law firm. Most people can't tell you where I've worked. They just know who I am and the work that I do, but they can't actually tell you what law firms I worked at. And I did that very intentionally because my name was the one I wanted to build. And so I'd really encourage uh, those who are out there who want to establish themselves as a thought leader in any sort of area is your personal brand will stay with you throughout every job. Jobs will change, your brand, your reputation, that stays with you. So invest in that any way you can and put it first before anything else.
0: That's really amazing to hear. I, I You said that and you said that, you know, people don't rec- remember where you work, but they remember who you are. And that really just actually hit me because I think a lot of the time we're told in law school or even, you know, applying to jobs outside of law school, go for the big firms or the people who are going to re- you know, remember the name of the firm. But at the end of the day, you're right in that. It's you. The people who are going to hire you down the road, yeah, they may look at, you know, where you worked before, but they want to know, are you a good candidate? So it's really important to actually make sure that you yourself are building your name up because at the end of the day, that is what sticks with us for the rest of our life. So I think that that's really impactful. And I, I just appreciate you saying that because it, it hit me. It struck something in me. So I hope that it does for our listeners as well.
1: Yeah. You know, I think I think law school puts a lot of a lot of pressure, you know, on, on where you go to and they sort of make you, you're, you're sort of deemed a failure right if you don't go one way or the other and I just don't believe that to be true now granted your first you know job or two are hard to get into but if you establish a strong enough personal brand I really do believe that after that it just comes down to folks reaching out to you just you making yourself as visible as possible which is hard for some people but a mentor in law school once told me she said she said mija which means daughter she said nobody's gonna find you sitting under a rock so you got to get yourself out there And at that point, I was like, well, that is some great advice because, you know, you're taught to sort of network, but you're not taught how to brand yourself. And that's what I think folks really need to invest in.
0: So I want to ask you two more questions, and I want to go back to the branding yourself, but a question I want to make sure that we cover for those who are listening and who are interested in the cannabis aspect of this episode. Can you just kind of give our listeners a brief overview of One, the stereotypes that you saw that you had to kind of get around in that area, because obviously, you know, I I think that neither of us are, you know, naive to the fact that there are people who are probably listening who don't partake in cannabis and who may be, you know, like, oh, as if you're practicing this or you have to practice this. So a stereotype that you faced in that practice and then also kind of a brief overview of what the cases actually looked like, what the work actually looked like. Sure. So
1: enormous amount of stigma, not so much now in the legal field um, as there was back sort of in the day, back in 2016, 2017, but so much so that, you know, one thing that ended up happening to me my first year of law school was I wanted to apply to a law firm that was looking for a cannabis research associate. And I went to the career services and I said, this is my resume, this is my cover letter, I want to apply, you know, and that were, this is like 2013. And the career services person told me, do you really want this to be your first job on your resume? Do you understand how this can impact your legal career if cannabis is the first thing on your resume? And so now I was on scholarship, I have student loans, I was in no position to implicate uh, my future jobs and earnings so i didn't apply and i sometimes wonder what would have happened if i would have started my career in cannabis 4 years earlier in 2013 as opposed to 2017 but then when i really started to get involved in 2017 you know i remember being at a it was at a meeting with all of the partners you know at the firm and i was sitting there And in front of about 40 of them, a partner went, so Jess, trademark any bongs lately? And the entire room erupted in laughter. And I couldn't understand why they thought this was so funny when I looked at this as a viable career opportunity. I was one of the only associates to bring in business because I was bringing in trademark clients and I was bringing in corporate clients from cannabis, and yet I still wasn't being taken seriously. And so when I ended up going to another firm and I was specifically selected to build out their cannabis practice... I also wasn't taken seriously. And they would just say, well, cannabis isn't really moving fast enough. So, you know, you need to sort of go do something else. And they didn't understand that you needed to invest in this and to lay down the foundation before it would really erupt. And so the biggest stigma is that this isn't a serious option. This is not a serious industry. But in fact... It is the fastest growing industry right now in the world, and it is the fastest job maker in the world right now, and this train is not going to stop. If anything, it's going to move quicker. They just couldn't see it. They thought it was a joke, and there are still some folks who may believe that it's a joke, but... I'm pretty successful in my field, and I know many attorneys who are successful who primarily do cannabis and psychedelics. And this industry, as it evolves, will continue to evolve in the legal realm as well because we are perfectly positioned to navigate regulatory and governmental challenges and dynamics in all of these murky waters. And so I think attorneys are super well positioned to benefit from this industry.
0: Absolutely. And it's kind of a little bit of, you know, you have those people who are saying, oh, did you trademark a bong? And you're sitting there like, I don't know why this is funny to you. And now you're sitting here successful. And I'm sure it's kind of a a little bit maybe of a good feeling for you to look back and be like, yeah, you know, it was a joke to you then. But this is a huge area of law that is going to continue to grow and it's going to continue to be normalized. So, you know, hopefully people who maybe had this preconceived notion about it being bad or, you know not good area of law or not successful, I'm hoping that this conversation can maybe change their perspective a little bit.
1: Yeah, and you know, and what's actually funny is that that same partner then about two years later began writing articles about intellectual property and cannabis. And so (laughs) I thought that that was really funny.
0: Yeah, isn't it ironic? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just, last question, you know, before the easy one that I gave everyone, I just wanna ask you, you know, if you could tell our listeners We talked about branding yourself and making sure that your name is the one, obviously, that you're with for the rest of your life. So if you could tell our listeners maybe one or two things that would help them brand their self, what would those be?
1: So use LinkedIn. LinkedIn right now is such a phenomenal tool for branding, but I feel that it is slept on um, amongst all of the other platforms. But the reason why LinkedIn is so good is because that algorithm that it has, one, doesn't discriminate against cannabis, which is phenomenal, as the other ones do, but two, it's actually not that hard to establish yourself as a thought leader if you're just consistent with your posting, whether it's writing blogs, reposting blogs, etc. So use LinkedIn, connect with people, and in whatever particular field or industry you want to be in, I would say really try to narrow it down. There's really not a such thing anymore as sort of generalist type of lawyers, but try to really find something that you like. And I really hate when somebody says, you know, find what you're passionate about. I just don't find that to be helpful. Instead, I ask people, what is a constant in your life? What is it that you read about or watch that nobody tells you to do it? You just do it on your own and then find a way to use your legal career to do something in that arena. And then just start on LinkedIn, writing about it, blogging about it, you know, commenting on other people's posts about it, connecting with others. I think that's really, you know, the first one. And the second one, you know, in in terms of of branding is back to what um, a mentor once told me of nobody's going to find you sitting under a rock is get yourself on some stages, get yourself some speaking engagements, whether that's to a crowd of five people, 10 people, 20 people, whatever have you get yourself on some stages up there because the moment that somebody sees you speak on stage, it's like you automatically become like the guru of this specific area. And I'm not entirely sure you know what that effect is about, but it does work. And so one thing that we have to think about in terms of like, even like human psychology, right? Is humans have two natural inclinations. We, one, we have the inclination to help and two, We also have the inclination to take the path of least resistance. So if you're an attorney, for example, let's just take in the cannabis space and somebody says, hey, you know, I have a a friend goes up to you and says, hey, I want to get into the cannabis industry. Who do I speak to? One, you're going to want to help your friend. So that's your first natural inclination. But your second natural inclination is you're going to think of whoever first comes to mind. And whether or not they're the best lawyer, the most successful lawyer, an app lawyer, whatever it is, you're going to name the first person that comes to mind. And that first person that comes to mind is whoever is the most visible to you. So if you can make yourself visible in person on some stages at networking events and you make yourself visible on the Internet and online, that's going to really help your foundation for your own personal branding. And you'll find your voice over time. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to, it's a lot of trial and error, but it's something that folks should really keep in mind. And it's how I found a lot of success is that everybody kept referring everybody to me because they kept saying, we see you everywhere. How do you sleep? You're at every place, you know, at one time. And I still hear it every time I go to an event, somebody says to me, hey, I see you everywhere. You're winning these awards. You're in this press, you're doing this. And I'm not really doing all of that consistently. But I am posting about it consistently. So that's the effect that it makes it look like.
0: And you're just probably drinking a lot of coffee.
1: <laughs> tea? I'm not a coffee drinker, but I drink some tea from Ooh. time to time. But I'm also like an infant I su- and I need like eight to 10 hours of sleep per night and I don't compromise sleep for anything.
0: I support that. I've been in big in, into London fogs lately. I've been trying to cut back on caffeine because I also used to not drink coffee. So I've been really dabbling with the London fogs. So I support the tea.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Bergamot for the win.
0: <laughs> so the last question I have, and I ask everyone this, it's kind of the breather question is just tell our listeners where they can find you.
1: Yeah. So best place to find me is on LinkedIn, but also I use my Instagram a lot for updates on what I'm doing, events that I'm going to be speaking at, workshops that are going to be held. So my Instagram is Jess, J-E-S-S, F as in Fox, G-O-N, Gonzalez, my my last name. That is my Instagram handle.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. This has been very eye-opening, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to be excited to kind of talk about this area that, like I said, is, is not talked about enough. So I appreciate it. And thank you so much.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: Listeners. That is our show for today. Thank you as always for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please recommend us to a friend and you know where to find us. Until next time, I'm your host, Montana Funk, and you've been listening to Young Lawyer Rising, brought to you by the ABA Young Lawyers Division and the audio professionals at Legal Talk Network.